Welcome to the preaching ministry of Tri-City Baptist Church in Chandler, Arizona. Our desire is that God would be magnified through the preaching of His Word, and that Christians would be challenged, strengthened, and edified in their personal walk with Christ. One of the things uh, that I thought I would divulge right at the very beginning of our uh, time together is some things that you may not know about me personally. Uh, One in particular um, is the fact that I'm quite the artist. Especially as a young child, I was, I was particularly gifted um, as an artist. I thought as I was growing up that this was something that was self-evident and that other people should also be aware of how gifted that I was. Um, as I was the, the genre of the day and my growing up childhood, some of my friends and I, we would draw for hours on end. We would read comic books at the time. And I got the idea in my head that I would show uh, the industry of that day how good and talented I was. And so I put together a letter um, when I was probably older enough to know better. I put together a letter and some of my drawings and I sent them into Marvel Comics um, and particularly Stan Lee. Well, I had forgotten about it for a really long time. And then one day, this, this particular letter showed up in my mailbox, and I eagerly tore it open. It reads, I know you can't read it, but it reads, uh, Dear Jeff, Sorry it took so long for me to return your artwork, but my partner Mark Grunwald and myself have been quite busy the past 12 months with the official handbook of the Marvel Universe. And we just had no time to get to the pile of art and story submissions gathering around us. I think your friend Chris, who I submitted some of his artwork as well, and yourself have a ways to go before you are ready for Marvel Comics. (laughs) Jeff, but if you really want to draw comic books, I suggest that you get several years of art training under your belt and then try us again. Thanks. Signed, Mark Carlin, which wasn't even uh, Stanley who I wrote. It was a 25-year-old that had been assigned this glorious task of responding to a young kid. I remember getting this letter, and I remember being somewhat mortified, trying to grasp the fact that he, that he did not see the same things that I saw. Well, um, just this past week or two, as we were moving, um, I opened up um, some old documents that I had and I found this letter and I and what was interesting was still in with the letter was that artwork that I submitted which I share with you today (laughs) classic I mean come on come on and there are several things here one you cannot see one you can one is down in the bottom right hand corner I put my initials because I knew that someone at Marvel Comics would take this artwork as their own and I wanted to be sure that my name was on it but what really catches my attention is the note that I wrote this is not my best but I think it's pretty good I did pretty good (laughs) if I do say so myself That's hilarious. Mike Carlin did me a favor uh, because he spoke the truth uh, into my life. And what it taught me is that there are often two voices in life. One that is kind, gentle, and encouraging. 
One that is blunt, straightforward, and true. And he was giving me the latter of the two. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes is a book that's similar to the voice of Mike Carlin, where he tells us, Solomon tells us what is true. And it's something that we need to be, to reckon with in a sober way. Oftentimes, one of these voices comes along with some discretion that is that we need to have. We need to hear the voice for what it is. Oftentimes, and I think this is applicable to the book of Ecclesiastes, there should be a label that is at the front of the chapter or front of the book, and that is a warning label. And whether it's however you want to think about it, um, whether toes may be stepped upon, feelings may be hurt, um, you, you may be triggered at some point as you read through the book of Ecclesiastes. We need to understand that this is the tone and this is the voice that Solomon and God through Solomon is giving to us. Now what's really powerful with this is I had no relationship to Mike Carlin. I, had, I, I looked him up on LinkedIn and just after I found that and got to know, see some of the things he's done since the time I spent or sent that letter. And um, that's all I know him. One of the things about the book of Ecclesiastes, though, and God in particular, is all the things that we know about God that should go into the, the prefix, or I'm sorry, the, the preface of this book. And that is that he loves us, that he cares for us, that he wants us to see life truly the way that it is, and to live our lives accordingly. When Solomon, in the book of Ecclesiastes, uses the term life, there are three definitions that I think that we need to understand from his perspective as we go into this book. And every time we hear the word life, we need to understand it from Solomon's perspective at the time. That really couches the message that he has for us. Those three definitions that he'll use. This is, this is existence under the sun. Sometimes I like to translate that in this atmosphere. Life is what is physical, what is material. It's the things that you can touch, taste, smell, that you can interact with your senses. That's the life that Solomon is talking about. In a scientific world, it's the natural world alone. Now again, showing you some of my great artistic ability, I try to illustrate this. <laughs> if the center is the earth, and as far as we can go up into our atmosphere, including the universe, that would be what is called the supernatural world. Anything outside of that world would be supernatural. And that's the distinction. Solomon is talking about the stuff of the natural world. Now, as we grow and as we get educated and as we read books, we talk about this world a little bit differently. In philosophy, there are three different ways that we can talk about that. There's actually a fourth way, but we don't give that too much credence in this auditorium. But two and three ways of looking at the natural world is either dichotomous or trichotomous. What are we? Are we body and soul? Or are we body, soul, and spirit? 
That's kind of how we talk about life. That's where we debate. That's where we would often have our discussions. Are we dichotomous or are we trichotomous? Are we body and soul or are we body, soul, and spirit? But again, this is not where Solomon is talking. Solomon is a monist in the book of Ecclesiastes. He's talking about one. He's talking about primarily life being lived on the physical alone, on the body part alone. And again, that's typically, philosophically, called monism. Mono being one. Now we preach, we always preach, either dichotomous or trichotomous. Would we ever preach monism? No. No. The Bible does not teach monism alone. But my challenge to you today is really beginning with the very next question. Would we ever live monistically? Do we ever live monistically? And that's something that we need to hear a voice of truth in our life on, to catch us when we do, or to catch us if we do. If we pull back and look at the book of Ecclesiastes, I think there is two truths that Solomon would want us to hear today, two truths that God would want us to hear today. And that is the title, and those, those are the two points. I'm only preaching two points today. You're like, well, a lot of sub-points. Yeah, I got you there. I can do that because I'm a teacher and pre- preacher. Yeah, two points. They are, life is vain, so live for eternity. If you walked out of here today, and that was the only thing that you took with you, that life is vain, so live for eternity, I would pray that God would use that in your life. I would pray that that would change the way you conduct your life. That life, given Solomon's definition of the stuff of life in this atmosphere, that everything under this sun, everything in this atmosphere is vain. So live for what's beyond. Live for eternity. Let's look at what Solomon says at the beginning of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. He says, These are the words of the preacher, the son of David, king of Jerusalem. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, in case you didn't hear it the first time. (laughs) All is vanity. Now again, whether it's a translation or whether it is just our lack of understanding there's there's somewhat of an ambiguity related with all of the things that are encapsulated in that one word vain one of my seminary professors used to talk about words like this terms like this and he would say that that word is pregnant with meaning and we would all chuckle um, because that's funny Um, but also because it was true it has multiple levels of thinking, multiple understanding. There's a lot going on there in that one little word. What does it mean, Solomon? What do you mean, Solomon? When you tell us that life in this world, that life that, that we're all a part of, that we 
put our shoulders into every day of the week. What do you mean, Solomon, that it's vain? Well, there are several points now that you can see that where we unpack what vanity means from Solomon's perspective. The first one, which is kind of startling, the first one is, the life. if life were just about the stuff of the physical, then to a great degree it would be pretty absurd. And I kind of wrestled with this one. I was like, really? Absurd? But what Solomon tells us is that it is vaporous. It's brief. It's transitory. It's deceitful. It's fleeting. It's meaningless. There's parts of it that are truly unsatisfactory. They're, it's empty and it's illogical. And he calls us to put life into perspective because that helps us see vanity. One of the things that I also thought about and illustrated is I have several different illustrations to, to, to get our minds wrapped around what he's saying. Is, and we're going to look at some of those here in just a second. But here's what we do. This is what we do to deceive ourselves. When we get all about this world, when we get enamored with the stuff of this life, it's kind of like we develop our own balloon. And if life is a vapor, what do we do? We blow it up. <laughs> hey, look. Look what I got. Hey, look what I have. Look what I've accomplished. Look at the things I do. And we continue to do that over and over again. We say, hey, this is really cool. Look at that. I'm getting somewhere. Now, maybe, maybe I, I could change the color of my balloon. That'd be kind of cool. But I work and I work in this life. Maybe I pass that 50-year mark of whatever that I do, of living this life. Or I see somebody else that has accomplished something. Maybe it's someone that's got an enormous amount of money. Man, their balloon is really full. And we deceive ourselves. We deceive ourselves because you know what? Life is still a vapor. Life is still a vapor, whether we capture it or not. Put into perspective. Putting life into perspective. Putting our vapor into perspective is what Solomon wants us to do. It helps us see that it's vanity. Another way of illustrating this. Think of everything that I've accomplished. Think of all the things that I am. There I am. I'm on Calp Island. Isn't that cool? Would you visit Calp Island? Would you come visit Calp Island? Would you come to a resort on Calp Island? What's Calp Island? Calp Island is me. And my little bit of stuff. Uh, that's the house where we used to live. It's kind of a nice little house. Really nice. It's worth a lot more money now than what it was when we paid for it. What we paid for it. That's kind of cool. And everything that I do in life is, there it is. And what's really cool is you zoom out a little bit. And that's approximately where it is. You say, look at that. Cop Island is still pretty cool. Can you see what's going on? Can you still see it? Can you still see what's going on? Let's zoom out a little bit more. Let's give you a little bit of perspective-ish. Can you still see everything that I'm doing? <laughs> All the stuff of this life? How about now? 
How about thou? How about thou? Couple more. I love this picture. Someone on the left. Right there. This is actually a real picture. Uh, Voyager 1 took it back in um, 1998, I think. 3.7 billion miles away from the Earth. Carl Sagan, as it was, as that telescope or as that satellite was getting ready to go out of range, he said, turn it around and take a picture. So they turned it around and they took this picture. It's called the pale blue dot. That is the Earth right there in one of the strands of the Milky Way. That's just, that's just a cool picture. The fact that we have that. How about one more? There it is. See Calp Island? Isn't that cool? If you look really close, you can see the video I just posted of a cat. That's pretty cool, isn't it? Pretty big stuff. Calp Island's pretty important. There is an absurdity with my life and how I think of my life. Therefore, one of the things I should do, and therefore one of the things that Solomon is telling me to do is recognize your significance in this life. Now, there is some. And I'm thankful for God's word that tells us the truth about our significance. But one of the first things that we need to do is by gaining perspective, we need to humble ourselves and to put ourselves in the position of learning. Hey, on my little island, in my little world, I'm pretty big stuff. When I gain a little bit of perspective, I see how some of that pride and arrogance is really absurd. It's really absurd. Especially when I factor in the one that made everything I can see in that 46 million light year perspective that we're looking at right there of the universe. That's not even the whole thing. Two. Solomon tells us not only is life absurd and how we think of ourselves sometimes in, in, uh, under the sun, but he says, you know what? There is a cyclical futility to what we do. A cyclical futility. He says it this way in verse 3 through 8 of chapter 1. What profit has a man from all his labor in which he toils under the sun? One generation passes away and another generation comes, but the earth abides forever. As he continues, he, he intentionally starts walking through different cycles that we can see in the natural world. I, I love this first line. He was a pretty smart guy, Solomon. He could write pretty well. Sometimes it gets lost in our translation, but he says the sun also rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it rose. The words that he uses is like a guy that's on his 27th lap around an arena in maybe Arizona, Arizona heat. He's weary. He's panting. He's putting forth effort and he's just trying to get around one more time. That's the picture that he paints for us here of the sun. The sun rises and like a labored runner, he just, he goes across the sky. And then guess what happens tomorrow? 
the same thing. And guess what happens tomorrow? The same thing. There's a cyclical futility to just life under the sun in this atmosphere. The wind, we could look at that. It goes towards the south and turns around to the north. The wind whirls around continuously and comes again on its own circuit. All rivers run into the sea, yet the sea is not full. Then he hits us with his exact point. All things are full of labor. <laughs> you can't express it. He gets overwhelmed. It's just this work, this job, this thing of life just doesn't end. The eye is not satisfied with seeing and the ear with hearing. And you know what's really interesting is Solomon, as a man that knows God, comes to this conclusion. He makes these observations. But these observations and God's truths are also noticeable to people that do not know God. One of the most encouraging men on the planet. He, his, his inspirational quotes are all over. Nietzsche. <laughs> He says, this is one of his famous quotes, if you gaze into the abyss, the abyss gaze also into you. I have so much wanted to cross-stitch this and put it on my wall when I get up in the morning. It just inspires me to go out into the world and do my best. Now, what's he saying? He's like, he's like you look hard enough into the purpose of life, guess what you're going to see? Darkness staring right back at you. There's nothing, is what he says. Nothing. Do you know Nietzsche's very popular as a philosopher? If there were baseball, card of, baseball cards of philosophers, he'd be one of the ones you'd want to collect. I think it's because he articulates some of God's truth in a secular way. He's hitting on some truths of God. He's hitting on some truths here that Solomon already thought about and had the answer to. And he's just coming to them as well. And people resonate with it. They say, yeah, you know what? Life seems to be somewhat absurd. Somewhat futile. So what should we do? Recognize that there is a level of weariness to the nature of life. But there is. But that's true. It's true. Solomon's not done yet. Not only is life obscured, uh, uh, sorry, absurd, cyclical futility, there's also a level of obscurity that is natural to a part of life. Look what he says in verses 9 through 11. That which has been is what will be. That which is done is what will be done. And there is nothing new under the sun. There's nothing new in this atmosphere. Is there anything of which it can be said, see, this is new. This is something different. This has never been thought of. But then he continues, it has already been in ancient times before us. There is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of things that are to come by those who will come after. There is a level where obscurity takes a hold of anything that happened on Calp Island. The Dutch masters, it's interesting how different philosophers and different painters, different artists, again, stumble upon God's truth and they express it in some ways. The Dutch masters, um, according to Phoenix um, Art Gallery, used to paint pictures like this and hang them 
near the entrance of their home as they would or at the exit of their home their main door in and out now what do you see here i love asking these type of questions of my students what do you see and they say oh well you know i see a skull okay i see gray i see a candle stand yeah those are all accurate things that you see from this painting but what does it mean what were they trying to convey with their art philosophy is art art is philosophy what is it that they're trying to convey what they're trying to convey is the brevity the futility and the natural end of life into obscurity that is somebody's actual skull i mean painting of it the fact that there is no candle on that candle stand is because the candle's already burnt out the inkwell is dry the books are deteriorating History is going by the wayside. And they would hang this at the front of their door, by their door, as they would go in and out, so that they would be reminded that life is brief and that things pass into obscurity. Now, something again about myself, a little bit for illustration purposes. I like studying my family's history. I enjoy it. It's, it's, pretty, it's a powerful thing to me personally. And one of the pictures I have that I saw in my grandfather's house when I was growing up that now hangs in our house is this one. I've added names. You probably can't see those names. But this is my, I don't, these are my ancestors. The uh, one, two, three, four. Uh, fourth one back row on the left, from left to right. That's William. William was my great grandfather. Daniel, the one, the only male in the front row, was my great-great-grandfather. He was the one that immigrated from Russia, or sorry, Prussia, to here, to America. You know what? That's really all that I know about them. I know their names. I know when they were born. I know when they died. That's really all that I know about them. If you ask me who Daniel's father was, I, I can't tell you his name right now. And I have no idea what his life was about. I don't know what his victories were, his frustrations, his challenges. Even to somebody that studies it, life wanes towards obscurity. Lives become unremembered and names forgotten. So what? What's the takeaway? Be encouraged. <laughs> the takeaway. Recognize that you'll be forgotten in this life. It's a humbling factor. It's a significant factor as we, as we gain a true perspective on self. It gets brighter. No, actually it doesn't. It gets worse. Life is grievous. If you're contemplating these truths that Solomon is sharing with us, there should be a heaviness that's already starting in your heart. And there's a grief factor. Solomon says, verses 12 through 18, in much wisdom is much grief. And he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. There really is truth to the statement that ignorance is bliss. If I don't contemplate these things, if I go about my merry life just scrolling on Facebook, I might be self-deceived 
regarding who I am and what life is all about. Life could be measured in how many likes I get. Or life can be measured in some other form of social media status. If I forget these truths or if I just choose to remain ignorant about some of these truths. But one of the things that Solomon calls our attention to is that there are true sorrows when it comes to life. There is a built-in demoralizing factor about a life that's spent only for what's in this atmosphere. There's a built-in demoralizing element. If you spend your life on just the things that are in this atmosphere. And Solomon again walks us through that in chapter 2. I said in my heart, come now. I will test you with mirth, therefore enjoy pleasure. But surely this also was vanity. One of the things that's really cool about Solomon is that he had no restrictions on what he could try or on things that he could experiment with or things that he could just go out and do. He had limited, unlimited resources and he decided to go down every path that he could to see if he could find the thing that was worth it in this atmosphere under this sun. And he tells us at the very beginning, I didn't find it. I didn't find it. Verse 16, there is more, there is more remembrance of why, sorry, verse 4, I made my works great, so I became great and excelled more than all who were before me. Whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. Again, he just embraced everything that this life had to offer. He did it. He experienced it. Then I turned myself to consider wisdom and madness and folly. He's like, I even, I went down the road of academia. And as gifted as he was, he was not hindered as much as we are in that area. He could run faster academically, come to conclusions quicker. His processor was far beyond ours, being the wisest man that lived. Then I saw that wisdom excels folly as light excels the darkness. There is something there. Yet, I myself perceived that the same event happens to us all. Verse 16, there is no more remembrance of the wise than the fool forever, since all that now is will be forgotten in the days to come. And how does a wise man die? Same way as a fool. Same way as a fool. I think one of the things that Solomon would tell us at the end of his path is recognize that yes life is demoralizing and recognize that it's a soul crusher sorry recognize that it's a soul crusher one of the commentaries that I was reading talked about it being an idle pulverizer I thought that's good too that's good too think about that thing that in our natural state, or when we forget that life is vain, that thing that we invest in, that thing that we do, the thing that we really care about. And one of the things that life does is it tends to pulverize those idols. Whether it's a vehicle, whether it's a status, whether it's a bank account, 
Life tends to just crush those things. And with that, a lot of our soul. Because that's where we've invested our life, literally. It's where we've invested our life. And when that idol is crushed, our soul is also. That's not where we want to end. Solomon has one more for us here. Recognize that not only is life absurd, cyclical futility, obscurity, grievous, demoralizing, it's terminal. Life is terminal. I said in my heart, consider the conditions of the sons of men. God tests them all, that they may see that they themselves are like animals. So no, not only does the wise die in the same fashion as the fool, but mankind dies in similar fashion as animals. For what happens to the sons of men also happens to animals. As one dies, so dies the other. Surely they all have one breath. Man has no advantage over animals, for all is vanity. All go to one place, all are from the dust, and all return to dust. I mean, that's like right up there with Nietzsche. That'll get you moving in the morning. You could have two, you could say beef, it's what's for dinner. Death, it's coming for us all. You have both of those on your dinner table, your kitchen table. Death, it's coming for us all. Life under this sun, life only lived for this stuff, is vain. It's obscure, futile, moves to obscurity, grief is involved, it's demoralizing, soul crushing, and terminal. But that's where he started. That's what he told us right from the beginning. Life is vain, it's vaporous, it's brief, it's transitory, it's deceitful, it's fleeting, it's meaningless, unsatisfactory, empty, illogical. Yet, we still often get sucked into deceiving ourselves to the contrary. I'm so glad that Ecclesiastes does not end there. But do you know how many philosophy books of today, that is where they end? That's exactly where they end. So that the best that they have is, do what you want. It doesn't matter. There is nothing outside this atmosphere. That's what Bill Nye would tell you. That's what the new atheists would tell you. But you know what, if that were true, then who is it that... Where do they get off telling me what to do? Because if their truth is as equal as my truth, then I'll just have another truth. And why would I seek to be an evangelist? Because your truth is as good as my truth. It's absurd. Life under this sun alone is truly vain and absurd. So Solomon takes us to where we need to go in our second point. Since life is vain, live for eternity. 
Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. With that statement, Solomon separates himself not only as the wisest philosopher, but a very truth-speaking, the one truth-speaking philosopher of his day, and even today. Because he says, listen, life in this atmosphere is absurd, it's vain. So live for what's beyond this atmosphere. Live for the supernatural, the one that we know as God. The one that created all of this. The one that created you and I in his own image. Sharing with us both the responsibility to exercise dominion in our world and to be fruitful and multiply. He gave us both of those attributes and abilities. And he calls us to live our life in a way that reflects him. Fear him. Know him. Follow him. Live your life in this atmosphere for him. Why? For this is man's all. No more profound statement in Ecclesiastes. For this is man's all. This is where life is found. This is how you can defeat the futility of life. And that I take everything I do, and I do it for God. I do it as a reflection of who He is. I love like He loves. I, I obey as Jesus obeyed. I tell people about who He is. My life is completely for Him. God takes note. And I, this is one of the things I love about God. So often when I, when I pray, so often I'll start, God, you know all things. You know all things. You know how many times I blow it. You know how many times I forget. How many times I write letters. <laughs> like that, I'm just a doofus. You, you know all things. And God, you still love me. You still seek to invest in my life through your word and your Holy Spirit. You've made the down payment in my life through your Holy Spirit in my heart and life. And God, I'm thankful for the fact that at one point in my life, at the end of my life, I'm going to stand before you and we'll have a face-to-face conversation like the one that we have right now. Where God, you know all things. I want to live with everything I do, whether it's pulling a weed or writing a dissertation, doing it for the glory of God. The fact of the matter is that life's vanity drives us to eternity's value. So when you come to grips with any one of these things that Solomon came to grips with, If you come to grips with one of those things, that that life is absurd, it's vain, it's futile, it's frustrating. One of the things that that can do for us is to drive us to eternity's value. 
Lord, I am so looking forward to heaven. (laughs) I'm so looking forward to life without sin and death and hardship. I'm so looking forward to that. Help me to live today with that as my finish line. True life is not found under this sun. Our purpose is realized by living inside this atmosphere for the one found outside, for the one. Isn't that great? You know, we we are not disciples of a philosophy. We're disciples of a person. We're not following an axiom. We're following an individual. That's, That's awesome. That's awesome. Hear the conclusion. Fear God and keep his commandments. Solomon had the law and he came to this conclusion. The law. And I literally mean that. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. That's what he had. Think about all that we have that confirms what Solomon came to. We have the law, the prophets, the gospels, the epistles, Revelation. We have Ephesians alone. We're going to get to Ephesians here really soon in chapter 4, 5, and 6 where all these commands are going to come out. Husbands, love your wives. Children, obey your parents. And please work hard for God through, your hus- through, your, through the guy that you work for, your employer. Do all this stuff. But aren't you thankful that we had chapters 1, 2, and 3 before 4, 5, and 6? Why do we do 4, 5, and 6? Because 1, 2, and 3 is true. We're joint heirs with Christ. He predestined. He elected. He loved us. He called us his own. This is who you are. This is who he is. This is our purpose in life. To please and and worship him with our life. Therefore, do these things. What a great picture of this same element that Solomon is trying to give us. Our conclusion, present your bodies. If we were to go to Romans, Paul would say it this way to the Romans. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable God, which is a reasonable service. This is, this is our act of worship. This is what we do with our life. This is the purpose of our life, to worship God and not be caught up with the stuff of this life. So again, I come back to this. Do we believe this theologically? Monism, never. We would never believe that theologically. But do we live it practically? Probably. Sometimes we get lost in it. So the call and the challenge, the purpose and the objective. <laughs> and I say that, I, say, I use those words intentionally. I dare you. I dare you. Live for something greater than yourself. Live life for the supernatural. Not just for the natural. Use the natural to facilitate your worship of the one in the supernatural. No matter what you do with everything you do. Use what we do under this sun Glorify the one beyond the sun. Fear God and keep his commandments. Life is vain, so live for eternity. Let's pray.